Welcome to StartupCTO.io, the podcast where Miles Mathias and Kevin Owaki interview engineering leaders about management, startups, and software, because your CS degree didn't teach you to lead. And now, StartupCTO.io. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Kevin Owaki at Owaki, and I'm here with my co-host, Miles Mathias. Hey, everyone. Hey, Miles. And our guest today is Michael Lopp, also known as Rands Online, and he is VP Engineering at Slack also. Welcome, Michael. Great to be here. Yeah, great to have you. Could you tee us off by telling us a little bit about your role at Slack? Yeah, so as you said, I'm the uh, VP of Engineering at Slack. I've been there about, um, I'm just coming up on a year. I think it's about 10 months now. Mm-hmm. Um, so team is about 250 engineers or so right now. Um, before I did that, I was the uh, VP of Engineering at Pinterest for a couple of years. And then before that, I was uh, I worked at this company called Palantir, which hopefully no one's ever heard of. <laughs> um, uh, no, I'm kidding. That's they did some amazing. We did some amazing work, and then I was at Apple before that for about a decade. I ran the Apple Store, and I ran part of the Mac OS X team. So I've been doing engineering and engineering management for a very long time. Great. Um, and uh, I should mention that you're also an author. I've picked up your book, Managing Humans, the Third Edition. <laughs> Yeah, I wrote this book about seven or eight years ago, the first edition called Managing Humans, mm-hmm. um, which is surprisingly a really good name, especially when you start thinking about life from a diversity perspective, because it's very, it's very generic and neutral, which I like. But I've done three editions of that book now. So I did the last edition came out last year. It's mm-hmm. just a ton of fun to kind of go through it and update it. And, you know, there's this glossary in it that I can like put in the latest and greatest and like I'm taking out fax machines and putting in Snapchat and it's just, it's fun to kind of just be like, you know, kind of constantly iterating it as sort of as leadership and as, as high tech changes. Right. One of my favorite passages in the book is uh, in one of your blog posts, you're talking about a manager that you had who looked up from his or her laptop and said, understanding people is your superpower lap. Don't forget that. Uh, and I just thought that that was cool that, that he enabled you to, to use your superpower by pointing that out to you. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about your arc of becoming uh, yeah. an engineering manager? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I tell this story a lot. I was at Netscape a million years ago, and mm. Tony was his name. This is not the guy who gave me the compliment. It was someone else. This, Tony was like, hey, Lop, you know, we're going like crazy. Can you look after these these three people here and i'm like sure what sounds great i got it mm-hmm. and that was like the conversation was like hey yeah okay you can do this and i'm so i'm like what do i do he's like you know set up one-on-ones i'm like what's a one-on-one he's like you know <laughs> schedule 30 minutes talk about some stuff so i i did that and this went on for like you know i'm looking out for him i'm like asking them how they're doing and doing all like the basic dumb things and then like three or four months later i was like hey tony we're kind of buried right now uh, could we get another person, another engineer? And Tony's like, well, yeah, just open a rack. And I'm like, I can do that? <laughs> He's like, well, you're a manager. And I'm like, I am? Uh, so it was sort of, uh, someone else called this sort of a field promotion, which it was awful. I mean, no expectations set, no like understanding of the role whatsoever. And uh, um, unfortunately, I think there's a lot of engineers that, especially rapidly growing companies, where that's kind of you know how it happens is suddenly you're like, oh, I'm the manager. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm the CTO, whatever. And that's that's how it happened was that. And it's been sort of 
It's been uphill since then. Oh, downhill? I'm not sure what's the right way to go. It's been, it's been a lot of fun then, but it's been a lot of learning. Mm-hmm. Got it. So it sounds like you were just sort of thrown in uh, yeah. without any expectations or understanding of the role at all. Yeah. No, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, do you think that that's because people don't understand what, what good management looks like? Or was that just sort of a, a part of the culture at the time? I... Um, I think it's more the former than the latter. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's sort of, I was reading this piece yesterday about soft skills and, you know, there's, when you say soft skills, which is really kind of an important part of being a good leader, it mm-hmm. sort of implies that they're not necessary and like they're 100% necessary. Like they are the thing to actually being a good, a good leader. And for, especially for engineering, we never really talked a lot about what that actually means to be a good leader. And we're also, sorry for the generalization, we're generally predisposed to be to be lower um, emotionally intelligent, just because it's not that interesting. What's interesting is building the thing that does the thing quicker than the other guy and, da, 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 and on and on. So we're, there's these incentive loops that make us not great at leaders. Plus, I ask this question when I do talks, I ask folks, hey, at like leadership conferences and this sort of thing. I say, how many of you other than this conference have had like leadership training where someone that says a leader is X and she does this and she does that. How many of you actually had that training? And like 50% of the audience regularly doesn't raise their hand, which means we have a population of engineering managers who are not trained at all. And it's, and it's a lot of it is on the job. I'm not saying you have to have training, but Mm-hmm. This craft of this idea of like thinking about what you do and how you are your it's like you want to actually get better at it. Mm-hmm. And just like everything else in your life, like some training, some learning, some book, whatever is I think a lot better. But I think we're in the valley in high tech, we're predisposed. But I don't think there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot like MBA is sort of the definitive leadership model. And go read about what an MBA is. It's not, especially for me, what I think is a, a great leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, can we riff on that a little bit? I mean, like, how do you think of the traditional MBA and how do you think of a good uh, engineering leader? I think, I mean, let's be clear, like MBA is like a, a very well-defined thing. It's been around for mm-hmm. decades and decades. But what they're building with an MBA is a business leader. They're mm-hmm. building someone who is really, um, really good at, you know, strategic thinking doing the math, working the spreadsheet. I'm sorry I'm generalizing here, but I, mm-hmm. I, I've had a lot of issues with NBAs over my life. I, I watched Microsoft, which like was a pretty cool company you know, uh, 15 years ago. I mm-hmm. watched it happen when the NBAs took over. And mm-hmm. what happened there? Like wildly mm-hmm. successful business. Hooray. Like, but what have they built in the last decade that you're like, holy crap, that was amazing. And I think that's the thing that I worry about with the MBA mindset is they're right. optimizing the business as opposed to building the product. And I'm a product builder. Like, that's what I do is like, we go build amazing products wherever we are. What is the cool thing that the humans need that's going to inspire you and hopefully sell a ton, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's a different set of incentives. And what is all the math about how we're going to make all of the money. This is essential business, but it's not, to me, especially for builders, it's not what I would consider to be the prototype right. of good leadership. Is that like a product lifecycle thing? I mean, I think that when you're in a startup that's still finding product market fit and is optimizing product market fit, it's sort of a different problem than managing a mature business. I think it's I think it's larger than product uh, product lifecycle thing. It's more mm-hmm. of a strategic thinking about how is this thing 
that's brand new actually doing? And how are we going to, how's it performing in, in the market? And what do we need to do to actually get to that product market fit? How do we need to change the strategy? Who do we need to talk to? What is the program? What is the marketing? This sort of thing. So I think it's part of that, but I think it's more like, is this a healthy business that we're building? So was there a point in your sort of getting into engineering leadership that you made the switch in your in your head that building up your soft skills was going to be something that was going to pay off yeah. in the long term? I mean, it seems like it sounds like you described a culture of stigma where people there's this feedback loop and people don't uh, invest in their soft skills. But you right. seem like you've you've broken out of that. Could you tell me about that? Yeah, it was really around that compliment we were talking about at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was an ex-manager of mine from Netscape, and I, I dedicated, I think, the first book to him, who kind of gave me this compliment. And it, it, that was a moment. It wasn't as, as elegant as I wrote down, but I, I take some liberties mm-hmm. in the writing. But he was, I was struggling because I was trying to do all of the things. This is what a new manager, this is like, mm-hmm. I call it the new manager death spiral. I was like, I can do it all. And my judgment is sound and I know everything. And I can, right. you know, I'll, I'll, here's the list. I'm crossing it off. And I was struggling because that's what all new managers do is they just try to do way too much. And he's like, all right, sit down, list everything that you're working on. And I filled the whiteboard and he's like, okay, that's 27. You can do five. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, I can do 20. He's like, you can do five. And he was right, by the way. And the way that we got down to the five was he said, okay, Lop, this is what you're really good at. And I know you want to do everything. And you tend to do want to think, do things where you know you have weakness just because it's more interesting or you have to feel like you need to prove yourself. Your manager, your superpower is understanding humans. You're doing these five things. They are product and human focused, and you're going to be great at them. And it was around that time that I, and this wasn't like a magical inflection point, but I started to say, okay, my job is these sets of things. This is where I will add differentiated value. And they weren't worrying about the code. They weren't, you know, they weren't worrying about, I mean, it was, it was performance related, but that was more the CTO's role than the VP of engineering's role. Right. That was, it was the set of things about making the machine run well around people, around process and around the product. So is there a, uh, <clears throat> business people have MBAs. <laughs> is there kind of like a recommended or what you've learned over time about engineers becoming better leaders and having more of those human management skills? You know, this is a great question, and I'm really wrestling with it because part of me says we can weaponize this and we could write a, a leadership degree, and <clears throat> and part kind of make and that's the engineer in me, like wanting to build a state machine or the program to actually build the right leaders. I think. I think that's a bad idea. I think that I think there is so much about the role which is essentially learned on the job. And if we tried to sort of like and I've been working on this for like 20 years, so I thought about it a lot. If we it's, it's so much about the job that is important, the the entropy, the chaos, all the beautiful chaotic snowflakes that show up on your on your on your desk every day. Like, oh, this is interesting. What happened here? That is such an important part that I think I think a good learning program, but doing the job deliberately, understanding, you know, what you're good, what you're bad at. And I think it's a combination of the two. So I don't think there's a leadership MBA. I don't say it was a bad idea, Mm -hmm. but I learned tons more by being deliberate and knowing that I'm continually growing on the job. Um, I was at Borland early on and I had an opportunity to 
to continue at Borland after an internship or go back to school. And I chose Borland because what I was learning that summer about being an engineer and at the kind of time databases was light years ahead of what they were telling me at college. <laughs> it was like, I'm like, you know, no one's doing anything with Pascal here, everybody. It's all C++. And they're like, yeah, but you're learning the theory. And there's something to the theory. But right. I liked learning the theory by practicing it as opposed to just learning the theory. So if we accept the, the premise that learning on the job and embracing entropy is an important part of becoming a good leader, is there a way to bend the learning curve and become a great engineering leader on the job? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> I think I, I, I think there's a cleverer way to ask your question. It's like, I think it's like, should I, you know, I don't know. Uh, hmm. Bending the, I, I don't know what the right set of rules to that I would want or suggestions that I would give to a, a new leader to like accelerate it. I think the answer is yes. Sorry, okay. I'm just totally thinking out loud here. I think the answer is yes. I think there are some principles that if you embrace them earlier that you would be a better leader i'll be specific there's one that i'm working on right now and i'm bad at this and i've been doing this for a long time i am super bad at this and it has to do with and it might be the most critical early leader lesson around delegation Mm -hmm. and we are as a species of engineers as new managers, traditionally pretty bad at delegation because it counter it's counter to all of our lessons to date, which is know what you're talking about, own the entire system, understand the inputs and outputs, argue with Q and A, you know about your thing because you are the expert. And delegation is about giving up control and giving up power to someone else, mm-hmm. and it's hard because you are like, hey. Um, you are giving away your um, your stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But it's this act of faith and trust in your managers or in your engineers where you say, hey, I need you to do this thing. Here's what winning looks like. Here's how we're going to watch you win and go, right? And we'll check in in a week. It's this leap of faith that is, I think, formative to strategic thinking, to trust building on the team, to, you know, to scaling yourself as a leader. So like if I knew that delegation lesson uh, mm-hmm. a decade ago, like really, really, I would be a better leader right now. And I'm, I'm assuming there's other, there's other aspects I could think of them that if I could get them in my head a decade or, or so earlier, mm-hmm. I think it would have been a good news. So I got delegation down here. Do you think that there's any principles that, that if you could go back in time and you could tell younger Rams <laughs> about that, that you would that you would transmute? Yeah, um, I think um, these are not prioritized. I think that the uh, I'm you know when I die, there's going to be this tombstone. It'll say Michael Lop, Rands, whatever his name is. Do your one on ones. I'm like this one on one like zealot, and it sounds really simple, but the rule is one on ones, thirty minutes every week. Don't change them, no matter what. And there's a lot of reasons I say those those attributes of a one-on-one. It's because that time to check in with your team and to have a conversation early in the week with everybody mm-hmm. is, again, it's kind of similar to delegation. This trust-building exercise, it's also essential as a signal-gathering mechanism because one of you, as a manager, you've got to know there's all these things going on and you've got to figure out what is the communication that works and how is the data getting to you. 
Mm-hmm. So that's another one that I learned over time. Like, hey, I keep on having these one-on-ones. And when I do, I'm feeling more connected. Mm-hmm. Um, they're feeling more connected. We're finding things earlier as opposed to, you know, when I'm not. And it's sort of like I'm kind of, I'm kind of flying a little more blind. So that's another one I think I wish I did from day one is just that, that weekly one-on-one process. Okay. <clears throat> So I got two of them. I've got delegations. <laughs> I've got one-on-ones. I'm going to ask you for a third one just because things could come in, in sets of three. What else would you tell younger Rands about becoming a good manager? Um, I think I've kind of already said this, but it was stop doing things that you're bad at. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's and it's related to doing too many things, which mm-hmm. like uh, there's a certain set of things I am very good at around soft skills, around people, around product strategy, around kind of getting things done. And I didn't say anything about scale. I didn't say anything about software architecture. And right. I didn't say anything about, you know, code guidelines, blah, 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 blah. It goes on and on and on. Everything on that latter list is, deeply interests me. It, like, mm-hmm. I want to know. And I want to go to every meeting where we talk about what is the, me- what, what is the right way to write this function, whatever. I am not world-class at that. That is not where I have superpowers and you're not getting differentiated value. And over time, I could get better at it because I am also an optimist and I think I can learn anything. But as a leader, I should be focused on the things where differentiated value is being, is being, is being, is being created. And I didn't know that until seven years ago. <laughs> I was trying to do it. Oh, I'm kind of bad at this, but I'm going to kind of do it. No, when I say I'm bad at it, I go find... I go find Frank and I say, Frank, you are better at this than I am. Uh, this is what winning looks like. You should do this. Go do it and like tell me how it goes and like let me like commit some of the sidelines. Okay, I got three. Miles, you want to get a question in? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's really interesting to me. I think, I think that it sounds like another really important part of being a leader is just really knowing your skills. And was there anything that uh, in your journey that – uh, highlighted your strengths and superpowers to you, or yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not. This just sounds like a, an easy answer, but the world generally tells you what you're good at, and you just have to be listening. Um, it's not. It's not Tom Paquin like uh, looking up at me and saying like, "Lob, your superpower is this." There's not those truly, you know, inflective moments. You are rewarded, and the, the, or the world recognizes where you have strengths and where you have. Uh, weaknesses if you will so that's kind of number one is like are you like tapped into a set of people are they talking to you and are you listening about what you're good and bad at um i I, it sounds like an easy answer most people (laughs) don't do that in my experience i'm getting over a cold sorry Mm -hmm. so i think that's the piece is like be open to listening which again sounds like the dumbest tweet ever but you know (laughs) We, we're busy, we're, we're CIOs, we're VP of engineering, so it's all these things that need to be doing. Oh, and by the way, being busy is so much fun, because like, there's all this stuff to do, and we've got these podcasts to record, and these reviews to write, and blah, blah, blah. Like, I like being busy. I like having an incredibly long list of things to do. Busy is an insult to strategy. Busy is an insult to actual like, work. And you got to have that time to be like listening, to be strategic, to kind of go like, what the hell is going on here? And let your brain do that thing that it's so good at, which is sort of parsing through an unimaginable amount of data, finding weird patterns, weird like sort of, you know, shapes in all of the data that are actually the truly the insightful parts of, of being a leader. That doesn't happen 
that happens. This is the shower time. This is I mountain bike. I do incredible work when I'm mountain biking because mm-hmm. I'm not distracted by all the things on my screen or what I have to do. I'm just sort of like doing this random compile in my head. And that's a huge part, I think, of being a good leader is kind of letting yourself listen, kind of letting yourself think. I just wrote about this at the beginning of the year. I give myself five hours every week during the work week to be building something. This week, I'm doing an offsite, so I'm doing all of the stuff around that offsite. Five hours during the week, and I'm a pretty busy human being, so that's a huge amount of investment. But that time is sort of this reminder to me. It's like, hey, go build, go think, go be strategic. And if I didn't do that, I would eventually burn out. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you've sort of built some skills and some patterns in your own life to be able to read between the lines really, really well. I think so. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. No, it's the way. Um, yes, is the answer to your question. Okay. The, I'll Easy give you an question. example. <laughs> I'll give you an example. When I, when I walk into a meeting with people, I walk in and I'm kind of smiling and giving everyone like, hey, I'm friendly sort of look. But mm-hmm. all I'm doing is going, where should I sit? Now, I'm not looking for the right chair. I'm looking for the chair that I should sit in. Who needs me sitting next to them? Whose meeting is this? What's the vibe in the room? Do I need to be an authoritarian person or am I flying a fly at a wall? Do yeah. I have a strong opinion about this? Is this, is this particular meeting, in, is this particular team in crisis? Is this team fine? So I'm doing, this is all before I sit down, I'm looking around and I'm trying to figure out what the vibe in the room is. And this is one of my great joys is, is doing this work. It's kind of like I play a lot of poker because it's a very similar mm-hmm. uh, situation where you're just trying to get a read of like, what's, what is, what's going on here and how does it all fit together? And how is this going to affect the outcome of whatever we're doing in this meeting? So mm-hmm. I've worked on those skills about sort of reading between the lines, understanding what the humans want from very little data, because it kind of is, it's all about the humans and how they're, how they're getting along. That really matters to like the final output. It's actually a good segue into a question that I had based off of, I was reading one of your blog posts or a chapter in your book and I can't, but, but basically you had talked about three uh, leadership stereotypes um, you talked about the machine who's mm-hmm. convinced that the whole world is measurable. Uh, <laughs> you talked about the Jedi master who has magical people skills, right. and, like his superpower, his or her superpower, I should say, is the nudge. And then you've got third, the dictator who has the mandate kind of command and control. Uh, right. How do you mix and match those leadership styles depending on the situation? Uh, it's good. It's a good observation in that I don't, I will adapt to those different stereotypes. And there's mm-hmm. a lot more than those three, by the way. Um, but I will adapt to this different stereotypes, which entirely based on, on the situation. But I think that I tend towards the, the Jedi master in that I, um, one of my leadership philosophies is I don't want to be the dictator. Um, I think that's ultimate. I've worked for dictators, very successful, uh, wildly successful dictators. That's not my jam. And I don't think that you necessarily build good leadership fabric when you're a dictator. Um, I think that I, my, my, my move is to ask you, what do you think about this situation? Mm -hmm. Now, by the way, I know exactly what I want. I know what the result of the situation will be, but it's more important that I hear your answer and we talk about it and I nudge you (laughs) to, um, to towards this. Hey, did you think about it this way? That is that is an empowering, healthy conversation where someone learns. So that's mm-hmm. kind of my default state. But um, life is complicated. Business can be hard. 
and there's a time where it's time to be the dictator. Um, I, I've done three startups in a row now, Palantir, Pinterest, and Slack. And each of the, the shape of the curves in terms of the growth is pretty similar. I'm landing when it's like 100 or so, and it's, we're just on a rocket towards 1,500 people, whatever the number is. And the good news is the third time through, it's all the same problems. They have different names and different faces and whatever, and they, call, and they have a different culture, but all the same things are happening because groups of humans tend to move. This is all the machine sort of stereotype in play here, by the way. They all mm-hmm. tend to evolve and move in the same way. And to be blunt, I, my tolerance uh, for being the Jedi Master on some things where it's really hard to teach and it's more important to be the dictator I just say, hey, this is what we're doing. Everybody on board, great. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, when I landed at Slack, they were, as every company has done that I've ever been at, was working on a career path. Hey, there's the engineering career path, and and let's uh, let's figure it out. Let's get a committee together and figure out the attributes and the facets and blah 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 blah. I got to Slack and I, and I and I saw what we did at Pinterest, which was this very long process of defining the career path months and months and months of doing this, which was great. And everyone learned a lot, but it was like, really? We should, was this the most important thing or should we be building product? And I got the slack and I said, hey, everybody, I've done this four times now. Here's a great version of this document. <laughs> and it's done. And everyone's like, super. And like, that was, I'm being a little bit more, I choose, I'm being a little more dictatorial on things where I, it's not that important that we all go through the process and learn. And it's just like, let's cut to the chase here. And by the way, it's not random. Like I'm not, I know what I'm, usually I know what I'm talking about. So I can defend the strategy too. I can say, listen, this is how we got here. This is why this matters. But um, I'm finding a little more dictatorialness uh, in the third startup than versus the first where I was like very collaborative and whatnot. The machine, um, that's not my jam. I'm, 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 I like, to understand how the world works. But as you can tell from my answers so far, I'm on the fuzzy people side of things. So, and that's really often very hard to put a hard quantification around. It is very discernible and knowable, but um, I don't, I tend to delegate the work that is very machiney. Mm-hmm. Have, have you met great uh, managers in the past who are, who tend towards the machine as their natural state instead of oh. Jedi master? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. This is this, this article was based on a group of leaders, <laughs> three okay. specific leaders. And uh, the machine, this person was uh, not the Jedi Master, had zero Jedi Master skills, mm. uh, didn't want to be the dictator, um, but was very much a very strong machine, get it done and, and crank through the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Miles, why don't you get a question in? Yeah, uh, I mean, one of the things that I wanted to talk about was um, engineers and evolving their skill sets and getting mm-hmm. the word out about their skills. And mm-hmm. I think one of the best ways that I've I've always tried to work on, but I've, I'm like so bad at just committing to it over a long, long period of time, <laughs> is blogging and right. writing, getting thoughts out there. And and every time I do it, I'm so thankful because it like helps me reflect on what I've learned and helps me learn better. And there are also a lot of people that I've worked with that just are just will like never be bloggers. And I'm like, wow, I'm learning this amazing information from you because you know your superpower is different than mine. And I wish that you would like go put it out in the world because the only way I heard about this was literally sitting next to you. You know, right. so 
I mean, you're obviously a longtime blogger and, and author, so like, do you have any thoughts about how why engineers, first of all, are so bad at blogging and doing that, <laughs> and like, secondly, like how people can get better at that? Well, let's talk about. There's a couple answers to that. Um, number one is let's talk about why it's important. It's not. I think the, the the PR around getting a blog out there is less important. Um, I think it's a byproduct of the act of actually writing. And y'all are coders. We've all written code. And code is your thoughts translated into a certain set of rules, which we'll call code. And doing that, you can you can just randomly do that, and that's shitty code. Or you can do it really, really well, and that is good code. And we're describing the spectrum of like learning about how to be a good developer, how to be a good engineer, learning the rules, learning the design patterns, becoming an architect over time. It takes work um, to be more and more strategic or a better and better developer. The same thing applies to writing. It's the same process of like, hey, I have this thought about, I don't know, um, reliability on blah, blah, blah. And I want to write about it. And you can just sit there and kind of blither and blather and get it out, and it's not very good. Or you can say, okay, like we said at the beginning of this podcast, what's the arc? What are we going to talk about? How is it going to come together? And find, like, what is the narrative here? And then you're going to take the, like, what your thoughts are about the narrative and fit it in and make it a good story. What I've just described is taking me decades to actually get good at in terms of writing. And I swear to God, it's made me smarter. The, the the craft of taking a thought, structuring it, thinking it through. What do I really mean here? How does this fit together? What are the different components? What is the most important thing? How do I tell a good story? Um, this is the, I, that's the important part, and the PR comes when you get good at that. It's writing isn't about isn't about getting it out there. It's about getting something quality out there, and I think that's the important thing to do. And engineers, believe it or not, are predisposed to be very good at this because we already think in this way. We think in this way of problem reduction, right? I have this thing I want to do. Okay, what are the constituents parts? How are they going to fit together? How are they going to work well together? Writing is the same thing. So we tend to think we're bad at it because there's this not this compiler for it, which says that it's good or bad. The compiler is the people reading it, and they're, they, are, <laughs> they can be brutal, by the way. But that's the thing that I think is really important about it. That's one thing. The other thing is... I think there, in this day and age, there's a lot of other ways to achieve the same um, sort of uh, visibility around the work that doesn't involve uh, blogging. That's and it's all the obvious stuff you already know, which is like, you know, if you apply at Slack and you say, "Hey, we have a GitHub repository. I have a GitHub repository with X, Y, and Z." We'll look. Because we want to see. I mean, like, what better way to see if someone's a good writer than reading their writing, right? Or a good engineer by looking at their code. So I think there's a lot of other things in terms of open sourcing stuff, getting stuff out there that gives you that same sort of cachet or sort of visibility. But, uh, and I'm super predisposed to writing. I think it's, writing's a good way to sort of define what you believe. It also, again, just become a more critical thinker. Uh, as a... As you're giving your answer to Miles's question about blogging and why that's important, I, I paged over to the RANS Slack, which is a leadership group <laughs> that you run for engineering managers that right. uh, our listeners should certainly uh, apply to because it's chock full of good information. But it, it struck me that you have a lot of active channels with sort of like a, well, at least there's a daily cadence to a couple of them, a daily right. challenge channel, a help and advice channel. Do you, do you think that the same applies to microblogging or like chat applications like Slack? 
Um, in terms of being a part of a community and kind of getting better at your craft or what's the question? Yeah. I mean, I guess I was, you were talking about the process of critical yeah. thinking that goes into blogging and it just struck yeah. me that your daily challenges are yeah. sort of for me a way yeah. to introduce that into my daily schedule. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think it's slightly different. A, a, it's, it's an amazing resource. It's wildly ex- exceeded my expectations. There's like 3000 folks in yep. there and like 300 to 600 daily active. So, um, I think just that, that, that ability to say, Hey, I have this challenge. I got to say this hard thing in this one-on-one today. Mm-hmm. Can anyone help? I think that piece is sort of, you know, like you said, like microblogging. It's sort of that sort of one-off sort of like, hey, I have this thing I want to work on it and getting getting this community of people to help you kind of figure it out. I think that's you're kind of uh, increasing the chances that that situation you're going into is going to work out well because you're bringing in all that experience. So I think that's I think the answer is yes to that. Okay, cool. I'm mindful of everyone's time and we're getting towards the bottom of the hour. So we should probably move into final questions. Miles, you want the first one? Sure. Uh, what are your engineering values? <laughs> um, yeah, I saw this on the sheet and I like thought about it. I think I've gone over them a little bit, but I'll, I'll state them again. Um, I, I am very people first in my leadership mm-hmm. style and you said engineering values, but I'm going to turn that into engineering leadership values if you don't mind. Cool. Um, I mean, that is what this podcast <laughs> is about. So maybe we should rewrite the question. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I um I my job is the care and the growth of the humans and if they're not there I have exactly no job. So th- I want the product to be wildly successful. I want it to scale, I want it to perform, I want it to surprise and delight all the users. But if I don't have happy, talented, productive engineers, I'm screwed. So that's where I put my values first is how am I making sure that this group of engineers is thriving? That's number one. And there's a lot of sub bullets to that piece right there. But that's my first thing is, is like thrive. Like how can I get this team to thrive? And it's, it's my great joy to be reasonably good at this and kind of look at a group of humans and constantly gaming it out and saying, okay, who needs to be where, what do they need to hear? Who needs to own what? Like, that's just, that's like this total crack to me is actually (laughs) looking at those sorts of situations and, and figuring out how to make them better. So I think the core thing is thrive. I think the core value is thrive. Cool. I like it that you can sum it, sum it into one word. I don't think we've gotten an answer like that before. So you've, uh, our second final question is, I'm excited to ask you it because you've been around the block and you've seen some things. Uh, what is your favorite engineering war story? Yeah, I know. I was looking at that question going like, what's, what's the favorite engineering war story? <laughs> um, you know, I was watching this and I wasn't, I wasn't a part of it. I mean, I was at Apple at the time and it was, but it was definitely war, but I learned a lot from this situation, from this battle. Um, and it has to do with the iPhone. And, uh, again, this is all talking to people. I was not part of either of these teams, but like I watched and went, that is some, that's amazing what is happening there. Mm-hmm. What, um, what Apple did, what Steve did for early on for the i, um, for the iPhone before it was the iPhone is there were two camps inside of Apple that wanted to be the operating system. There was mm-hmm. a camp one, which was the, the iOS, but became uh, it was the camp one which was based on Mac OS 10, and camp number two which was based on the current iPod software. And I don't know, wasn't in the meeting. I don't know how it happened, but Steve said, "Listen, here's 50 people, whatever the number was. You ha- here's what winning looks like. 
I'm going to do two teams, different platforms, ready and go. <laughs> and so these two groups went off to go and, cl- you know, to claim the, uh, the crown of being the operating system for this new piece of hardware that no one knew about. And they were at, at war with each other. And it was like, it seems really super inefficient. And it seems like, well, can't someone decide? Like, make a decision. You're a leader, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but they, you know, battled for whatever the win condition was. And then... You know, Mac OS 10, what was Mac OS 10, you know, reduced down to iOS was the winner. And it turned out it was a good thing. Oh, and by the way, all those other 50 or whatever the number of people on the, on the iPod team just jumped over to the iOS team. So suddenly double the size of the team. People were great, allegedly probably good mobile software engineers. Mm-hmm. And you went. And it, you know, it's Apple. They had a lot of money. They could afford to do that as a larger company. But mm-hmm. there was something there that I, I love. It's about that battle that I, I love and I think about in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, uh, empowering the team to make the best decision as opposed to, you know, this sort of rep that Jobs had as being the dictator. He didn't dictate. He said, all right, let me, let me, let's see what the, let's, let's do a fitness function here, right? right. Let's go and say, like, let's see what it's going to look like there. And I, I always, that's when I think of war stories. I always think about that and how he kind of, how he built the teams and actually kind of got the, uh, got the result that we got that we're all using now. That's an amazing story. <laughs> uh, a, because it's a piece of tech history, but uh, also, I mean, you got to witness the I- iPhone in that <laughs> being developed. You, I, I just can't imagine what it would take the amount of chutzpah to put two teams against each other and, right. and to manage that uh, in, internally to an organization. Well, like, like, let's make it even more like amazing. We, we, I mean, this is, we all, I heard all these stories after the fact. We had no idea what was going on. Mm-hmm. So, like, two total cordoned off secret project teams and doing this. I mean, here's the true story. I mean, not the other part isn't true, but like, I saw this part. I was sitting in one of the buildings when they announced the iPhone with my entire team, and we all had no idea there was a phone going to be announced. Oh, and by the way, we had software on that phone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because we had, there was this total, this veil of secrecy around it that was, that was world class. So it was, we were as surprised as everyone else when he revealed that those three things were the phone. We're like, oh my God, that's amazing. It's like, and we work here. How cool. Nice. Alrighty, a final, final question. That's where can people find you online? Yeah, so um, we've been over a couple of these things. Uh, Rans and Repose is the blog. I write there pretty regularly. Um, longish pieces. It's not your link blog. I tend to write, you know, 500,000 word pieces about every week or so, or week or two. Um, probably more important um, is the Rans Leadership Slack, which is, as we talked about, this um, community of around, it's over 3,000 now. Of people that are all working on the craft of leadership, and it's the most active leadership community I've ever seen. So, if you're interested, go to search for Rand's Leadership Slack, and you'll find out how to uh, apply to be a part of that thing. And just so everyone everyone freaks out, like, how do I apply? I'm like, the requirement is, can you work email and send me a mail? If you can do that, you can be invited. Um, I will just I invite everybody. So, um, but I do do the invite because the community is this healthy. Uh, respectful set of folks and you use your name and it's it's a it's, it's you you are a human being in there and uh, a little bit of formality to get in the door has kept us nice and uh, nice and healthy cool uh, and my question was scoped to where people can find you online but I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that you wrote a book called managing humans and <laughs> I am, oh yeah I'm halfway through it it's worth picking up 
Yes, I wrote a book too. I actually wrote two books. There's another one called Being Geek, which is sort of a career handbook for nerds and engineers as well. But Managing Humans, highly recommend it for leaders. Cool. We will uh, put both of those links in the show notes. Thanks so much for being on the show, Michael. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. Find us at startupcto.io or on Twitter at startupcto.io. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next episode.